You're listening to the Fresh Air Sports Hub. Here comes Usain Bolt! Usain Bolt storming through! He takes it again! Down goes Frazier! Yeah, down goes Frazier! He hits one! Oh, what a goal! It's Lillard! He got the shot off! on freshair.org.uk Welcome to this week's Sports Hub Show. I'm Peter Johnston, joined as always by Alfie Steiner. Uh, we're going to be talking about the international break, oh joy of joys, and then previewing uh, this weekend's Premier League fixtures. We'll also have a little bit of a chat about Gareth Southgate and what uh, the weekend's defeat against Belgium means for him. Potentially, as uh, you may be aware, uh, it's a historic weekend in Formula One as well. Lewis Hamilton claimed his record equaling seventh world championship. Absolutely huge news that I'd love to chat to you about. We may get onto it depending. Um, depending if uh, Addy gets here, uh, but we'll wait and see. We'll, uh, we'll all find out together if that's going to happen. Um, but let's start off with uh, Belgium against England. Um, give, Alfie, given it was the, the international break, we had no Premier League football. Um, this was our replacement. It wasn't really a, a fitting replacement, I've got to say. Um, England now out of the Nations League. Still got to play Iceland, but we're already too far behind Belgium. And we're also likely to finish below Denmark as well. Um, which is clearly a backward step from two years ago, which is quite concerning, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess so. As a as an Englishman and as a football fan, it's just like, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because, like, well, especially this international break, I just seem to seem to try and distance myself from football as much as I can during the international break because I think it's just so intense during the weeks leading up to the one. So when England comes on, it's literally, like I've said this before, it's literally like, you know, football's not on. So England going out of the Nations League, yeah, probably is a step back compared to last year. But then again, what like what is the Nations League? I still don't really know what it is. Well, yeah, I suppose uh, that's... Yeah, I agree with you to a certain extent, but it's certainly... Uh, you're looking at bigger picture with the major tournament coming up. We still don't know who our best players are. Grealish, you would think, he's going to be in there, but only made his debut... Last night, yeah. and it, no, no. De- definitely on the pitch. There is definitely a concern because, yeah, you know we were we're we're sort of expectant of of better performances and and England to to be a good team now. And you know the recent round of fixtures, this international break and the last one, performances weren't particularly inspiring. The lineups, the formations, giving minutes to players or not giving minutes to players. At least, you know, the likes of Jack Grealish did get a start yesterday and, and was was pretty much England's best player. I didn't actually watch it, but from what I've read, he, he was definitely, uh, you know, very, very impressive. So, yeah, it's slightly concerning. But, you know, I think 
again, we have sort of without without some key components of the team, I think the likes of Rashford and Sterling I would obviously normally ordinarily start, I think. Um, yeah, it wasn't and I, yeah, and I do think it's slightly different to you know. Obviously, you've got to maintain some sort of consistency and play well during the off season, I guess. And I know these are technically competitive matches, but I think once you get to the you know the the business end and and the actual competition, then I think it's it's easier to judge because I don't I don't know it's something about England going out of the nation leagues. I'm not like devastated, you know. But maybe maybe it's not about that. Maybe it's more about the the concern about the performance and stuff like yeah, that. Like yeah, I agree. I mean, agree with that. It's you know, it's only the Nations League, but it's still a it's still a trophy that England could put could have put the name on. They came close a couple of years ago, but um, mm. I agree. I think looking, it's, it's definitely more of a concern looking uh, bigger picture. Uh, one thing I did notice. I mean, I don't know actually talking about Jack Grealish. I don't know if you've seen the, the clip. Sorry, on Instagram earlier of him flicking the ball over Munier's head yeah, yeah, yeah. with his heel. That was quite impressive to watch, but. Um, just in general, in terms of England's system, talk about it being too negative, too defensive. In the starting lineup yesterday, there were only three attacking players: Mount, Grealish, and Kane. Um, and obviously, Mason Mount's quite a quite a marmite figure within within the England team as well. Um, so it's yeah. I mean, you start you turn up against the well, the top ranked team in the world with only three three attacking players. I mean, you're not, you're not really setting yourself up to have a good chance of uh, victory, really, are you? Mm. I mean, yeah, I guess so. I think it's not, it wasn't really a surprise when I, I did check the lineups and see who was starting in the absence of Sterling and Rashford um, and given the abundance of centre-backs that, I mean, right, full-backs, sorry, I mean, primarily right-backs that he wants to try and fit in at the moment. Um, he seems to have quite a lot of defensive players uh, that he likes, and he obviously loves Mason Mount. He gave a start to Grealish, which I guess sort of, you know, then someone like Jaden Sancho misses out. Um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a weird one. I just I still don't think I don't know if Southgate knows what his strongest team is, but then again, I'm I'm not sure. It's really easy for us to sort of pick and choose the you know the players who play best for their for their for their uh, domestic clubs. But then when they're playing together on the international stage, I think it's quite different. And I think it's quite a difficult balance to strike. And there's just such minimal game time and time spent together that I can sort of understand why in a game like Belgium, maybe he goes for a more defensive line. I mean, who's, who, I mean, I know Saka came on after Chilwell's injury, but what he could have started, like what else, what, who else could he have started that would have been more attacking? I guess uh, Sancho. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose it's, um, it's yeah, I suppose so. But um, I just think if you put just put the Nations League aside and you don't really care about winning the Nations League, just look at each game on the individual merits. You know, we played yeah. five, five games now. We beat Belgium the first time, which is obviously a very good result at the time. But we've played Denmark twice. Whether it's a friendly, whether it's in Nations League, whether it's Euros, we've drawn once and we've lost once. Um, so, I mean, however you want to view it, there's still still not encouraging results at all. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't see there's been much exper- experimentation, really. So if you did want to choose to look at these as an opportunity for experimenting. We've been just as defensive in our lineups in basically every game we've played, no matter which players have been available. Um, no, so you right. wonder if the philosophy is, is correct. I mean, I was actually trying to see, we are, England are actually favourites to win the Orange next summer at the moment. Surely not. <laughs> 
<laughs> Belgium are second favourites, having beaten us last night. Oh, Belgium are second favourites. Surely not. You, I, yeah, mind boggles. I don't know how that's happened. This, this is the thing, like, you think of, of the players a lot of the time and the depth of quality in certain positions. You know, arguably got the best right back in the world. And then you think who's behind him in the pecking order. You've got Kane, who's arguably, you know, definitely up there in terms of one of the best number nines. You've got Rashford and Sterling, who are, you know, top 10, perhaps, wingers in the world or something of that, you know. Sure has well. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the players are there. It's just, you know, you think of like France and even Spain, Germany. They seem to just click on an international front. These players are sort of, I don't know, there's more cohesion. I think as as um, like nations managers, you think of like um, Germany manager. I can't remember Jürgen Love or whatever okay. his name is. I always try to struggle with that one. Um, you know, he's been with them for so long, and Southgate's been with them a fair bit, fair while now. But you know, I, as you say, he sort of embodied the new English generation and and allowing these players to come through. And now it almost as if he's sort of settling on a more defensive stabilizing structure and and you know not it's not that exciting given the players that he's got at his disposal so so maybe it's just a case of you know trying to lay some foundations before the euros because to be fair it's, it's interesting how as much as we say that these games are sort of insignificant if we sort of win all of them albeit by a narrow margin or play well it's like oh we're going into this major tournament without losing and winning so it just changes the, the conversation quite a lot but yeah, that, that's quite a, quite funny to think that even now England are favourites. I mean, it has been like that for a little while. I just like checking every so often to see if that's still the case. Mm. I mean, you know, on re- realistically, I, I'm sure we're far from favourites, really. But it's um, you know, the bookies seem to put more faith in England than than the fans, which is a bit odd. But I mean, in terms of Southgate, um, you know, since we can't obviously really peak summer 2018 when he first came in, not long after he took the job. Um, do you think his job's at risk? Have you got any... I mean, obviously, you don't, you're not particularly interested in the Nations League, as not many people are, but do you have <laughs> in him going, going, him leading us in the Euros next summer? Do you think he's the right man to do that? Yeah, I, I do think he's the right man because you can't, I don't think you can just bring in someone new you know, Southgate's been with these players uh, quite an important time of their development. Obviously, a lot of them are coming coming quite good and consistent over, you know, that's overlapped or coincided with his tenure as, as England manager. So I think he's definitely in the, in the best position to, to take them forward and lead them into the Euros. Do I think he's the right guy? Well, I don't know. I guess what, what, it depends how you're judging the right guy. At this stage, probably, yeah. Yeah, he probably is. And like, I, do, I don't think... You know, I'd love. Obviously, I'd love to see England win win a, a trophy or, or win a tournament. Um, but whether to judge whether Southgate's the right guy, it's sort of like, what is he the right guy to get the most out of these players? I don't, I don't know. But I don't know what these capable these players are really capable of. And it seems on the Southgate, you know, it could be a give it a go. But I still don't think we're we're close to being the the sort of team. We've got the individuals, but not the team that Germany, France. Um, Spain even are Belgium so you know I, I just don't think we've got that team dynamic which maybe Southgate is not the guy to develop that but I think he's definitely gone some way I think he's 
you know, compared to recent England managers, which I can't remember off the top of my head who, who's been there recently, but it's not really gone that well. They haven't been able to sort of establish themselves and and have quite quite optimistic. I mean, until recently, to be fair, but it's always been quite optimistic around Southgate, which I think he's deserved. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a question of, well, if he gets to the Euros and we get knocked out early or we're not playing well, then yeah, he's, I think he's a, he's a goner. But I don't think we need to think about that just yet. It's quite frustrating in terms of... It's kind of a bit of a joke, really, isn't it? Like, England turn up to every tournament and it's all we're preparing for the next one. Basically, every single time. Seems to be the line. Um, but you look at teams like, well, I look at Germany, for example, and they're very much like a team in transition at the moment. Like you look at Germany's squad for this international break and, you know, the average English football fan has not heard of any of them. Like maybe Dubai yeah. Munich ones. Like they're very much in transition. Um, so you would hope that we would be in more of a position to capitalise. But you do kind of worry again if it's going to be the same old, oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're preparing for the, the next World Cup. Um, which is a shame because when you look at, as I say, the kind of stages that other teams are going through. We should really, if we've got a cohesive team for this summer, we should have a good chance. But just concerned it's not all coming together. Yeah, I mean, let, let me, let, I feel like this, I, I've done this with a few of my mates, but what would, what would you say, I mean, on the basis of recently or just on players or what you think, what, what, what's England's strongest starting eleven as of now? Do you have an idea in your head? I mean, I guess Pickford starts in goal. Well, I think... Or maybe not. Well, we've said, haven't we, for, for England, he's yet to let the national team down, isn't he? So, I mean, I can, I can, you can justify starting Pickford, really, can't you? And then, I don't know, as you say, you've so many defensive players to fit in, but it's just I think it's been negative, isn't you've it? You've got to have Alexander-Arnold, don't you? And then probably Maguire and someone else. It depends what formation, if he goes for three at the back. And then he could use Walker as a centre-back. But I think he'd probably go for a full Maguire. Maguire and Gomez, personally, I think. Gomez, yeah. I mean, he's, but he's out until the end. Well, well, we'll get on to that. All of the pools are in at some point. Um, um, Chilwell. I mean, there's some good defenders in there. And then you've got... Yeah, I mean, I don't know how Trippi... Because Trippi's always performed well for England, like particularly the 2018 World Cup. I have no idea how he's doing that in Spain, so... Yeah, and then I guess you've got Rice... Henderson. Who seems to be a, a linchpin. Yeah, Henderson, obviously. And then Mount Grealish as your midfield option. You've got Kane, Rashford, Sterling. Grealish, and Kane, Sancho Rashford, well. Sterling, Sancho. Yeah. It's a good, good bunch to pick from. It is a good point. It's, um, it is frustrating. It's, it's quite difficult to get a, a balanced defensive and attacking team. It's a, I think either you're going to have a team entirely of good attackers or a team entirely of, of well, of right-backs. <laughs> so... She's got yeah. yeah. We've got plenty of time to deliberate over that anyway. <laughs> a few months. Uh, so let's move on to uh, talking about this weekend's upcoming pictures. Yes. Thank God. Back again. Uh, we'll, start with, uh, we'll start with the big one. Uh, well, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple of big games actually that took my, took my, caught my attention this weekend. We'll start at uh, White Hart Lane. Uh, Spurs against Man City, which always just instantly makes me think of that amazing Champions League quarter-final a couple of years ago. Um, And you do wonder, I mean, I can't help but think that Tottenham are in a a good position to do a job over City again. Yeah, I mean, I I completely understand. I I, I saw that today as well. And, you know, of all times to play City, given Spurs' I'm going to call it impressive form, because it's impressive form. Performance-wise... Look, they went through that really good phase, but the last like couple of weeks, 
they haven't actually been playing that well and got pretty lucky against who was it Burnley, uh, West Brom, and yeah. Brighton. I think it was. So look, I think Man City, like you know, they they haven't been at their best. Don't get me wrong, but I think you know with with Gabriel Jesus coming back from injury, uh, Sterling probably be fit for that. I know he's been fit recently, but I do think people underestimate City a bit. You know, they 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 started pretty poorly against Liverpool or rather Liverpool started well and they came back into the game and played pretty well. Um, so I think Spurs are well positioned to, 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 to match Manchester City, but I'm not sure that, you know, they go into this with, as favourites or anything like that. Having said that, you know, you, you think at the end of last season, uh, I think City absolutely battered them, but then Spurs came away, I think it was 2-0, 2-1 winners or something like that. Um, with Son yeah. scoring a big goal. But, I mean, it's quite easy yeah. when City have, well, they've drawn three and lost one of their opening seven games. It's quite easy to say they're a team in poor form. Um, mm. But I just, something about, it's all, it only takes one game against one of the top six sides to get a good result and then you're back on track again. Um, so this, you know, maybe they may get a win against Spurs and then it's normal service resume. Spurs, you know, slip down the table again and start fighting over fourth and fifth and City back up the top again. So, it's it's yeah. kind of a knife edge, really. This one. I'd I'd talk, well, as you, you don't need me to 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 make it clear what I want to happen, but <laughs> I really do not want Spurs to to win the, the the game on Saturday because that would just be, you know, the Mourinho factor, the the you know Spurs being good and can beat City. I just know I, I want City to. Yeah, I wouldn't mind a draw, but I want City to just play well and and dispatch them, and and for Spurs people to just be quiet for a bit because it's. I mean, we said it happened. <laughs> we saw it obviously when Villa started impressively and then played Liverpool, and we're like, "Oh, this could uh, define the start." And then obviously they went and won seven-two, had an absolute freak result, and then we've seen Everton play against some of the top teams, and after they had their impressive start, and say, "Oh, this could kind of define their season," gives a good indication, and he slips yeah. up a little bit. And it, I think it's, again, I think it's some sort of situation with Spurs, isn't it? I mean, this is, Man City are the kind of team that, City, that Spurs want to be benchmarking themselves against, aren't they? Um, so they would really be very much judging their progress as a team on results in fixtures like this. Yeah, definitely. And I think, think of Spurs' as, uh, run thus far. You know, they had a tough game against, on paper against United, which obviously we all know what happened in that game. Come to think of it, I think that's the only tough yeah, game. Yeah, encountered particularly. They had a pretty easy run, and and the, yeah, they played pretty well in a few of those games. I mean, let's not forget, we think they played well. They beat Southampton five two when Southampton were dreadful that day. They drew three all to West Ham, although even though they looked great in the first half. The results are great. Like They're picking up points when other teams aren't. They've slipped past Burnley, Brighton and uh, West Brom. But, you know, they've got City and then they've got, I think, Chelsea. They've got United, uh, Liverpool coming up, Arsenal, Leicester. They've got a really tough run coming. So I think, you know, if they win this, then it's like, OK, fine. I'll, I'll, I'll begrudgingly concede that maybe Spurs are looking a decent team. But I'm hoping this is just a reminder that they're not actually that good and Mourinho is outdated and, and they just, you know, can 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 be put back in their place, but 
it's a great it's a great fixture on paper and I'm interested to see how City start playing because I think they're starting to look a bit more solid but we haven't seen much at all in an attacking sense or at least close to what we're used to so hopefully that's to come. All right let's move on to um, what I believe is possibly the biggest biggest game of the weekend um, which is Liverpool against Leicester uh, third against first I mean obviously it's still early days in the season um, but when you consider I mean let's just run through the uh, Liverpool players unavailable for this weekend I mean there are probably more that I've missed but at the moment we've got Van Dijk Thiago Alexander-Arnold Gomez Henderson Salah uh, and Andy Robertson um, I may well have missed more um, Fabinho is he still uh... Fabinho, Fabinho could, could be back in could be injured You've also got, you know, the long-term absentees, like, I think Kate has just come back, Chamberlain, I mean, not as, as crucial, but, yeah, it's quite funny, really, isn't it? I mean, it's, this is a, this is another one, I mean, just as we were saying about, about Spurs as well. I mean, this Leicester last season, when they were, they were second, weren't they, for a long, long period, and came up against Liverpool and got absolutely demolished 4-0, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, that shouldn't be happening again, should it? I mean there'd be alarm bells ringing if that happened again this weekend. They should really be looking to, to close the gap, shouldn't they? Yeah, testament to Leicester, to be fair. I think everyone would be shocked if, if Liverpool sort of coast to a, to a, a, a like easy victory, given the injuries that Liverpool have to key players. And also, you know, Leicester are still without a lot of big players. I mean, don't, like they're, 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 they've been playing really well. And I think Brendan Rodgers, of all people, will really want to set the set it right after last year and you know he loves <laughs> he loves making a statement and I think Leicester honestly it's gonna be a tight one. I think of a lot of teams, Leicester's probably one of the teams that Liverpool would want to face least at the moment. Yeah, I'd agree with that definitely. The defensive absentees and Leicester's sort of like they're just unreal uh, away from home. They you know they can execute a game plan to perfection. They've got such dangerous players and, and Vardy is just he just loves it away from the King Power. So, yeah, tasty, tasty stuff. I mean, I saw a, a poll, I think it was, I can't remember it was on BBC Sky, something like that, of uh, you vote for your players of the season so far. And uh, Vardy and Danny, and obviously Danny Ings, Danny Ings and Vardy were light years ahead in terms of like, public opinion, in terms of how they've been this season. I think that's probably a, a fair reflection as well. I mean, particularly if you look in the context of Liverpool's defence at the moment with, well, Van Dijk, Gomez... Robertson and Trent all out injured. against Vardy this weekend, you would think. It would be a nightmare anyway, with like even with those four. Uh, I think Vardy just gives problems to anyone. But you know, with the likes of, I don't know. I guess ideally Liverpool would be able to line up with Matip, Fabinho if he's fit, James Milner, and you've got like Greek, haven't they? Is it that similar? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, I'm sure Jamie Vardy is, is literally just like sitting there licking his lips. At least we've got Alisson back instead of Adrian. I mean, yeah, that, would, that would be the nail in the coffin. I think that would be too much. I'd feel sorry for Liverpool then. <laughs> yeah, well, quite. Uh, so let's move on to now Addy's joined with us as well. It seems like a, a better time to move on to uh, Leeds against Arsenal, uh, your two respective, respective teams. I think, believe if memory serves me correctly, the last time Leeds played against Arsenal was uh, when Thierry Henry came back for his second debut in the FA Cup. Way that back. was one of the more... Re- we, we played them last year in the FA Cup, but that was definitely one of the more recent times. We played them last year. Um, but yeah, that obviously sticks out, that, that memory. That was, that was crazy. 
I mean, the two sides are very close together in the table, but equally two sides. I mean, the reason you're so close together in the table is because you've both won and lost an equal amount of games. Like, you can't find, neither side can find any consistency whatsoever. Um, so I wondered if, if you could maybe, I don't know, just for a bit of fun, if you two maybe wanted to pitch a little bit why you think your team's got a, got a better chance of winning this weekend. Um, so if I don't know if you want to start, Alfie. Yeah, okay. Well, um, shows how optimistic I'm feeling about Arsenal at the moment. No, look, I think we Arsenal have showed that they can adapt to their opponents and especially to, to challenges away from home in a way that we haven't been able to do for a long time. You know, it worked against Man United and, and we've been more solid against the bigger teams. And the thing is with Leeds is that Ordinarily, I'd say I'd want Arsenal to set up in a, in a proactive sort of take the game to them sort of way. But then I actually see how Leeds played against Man City, which will definitely be in Arteta's thinking. And, you know, given trouble to the bigger teams, I think Arteta will, will set up in the way that we've seen him set up in big games. And, you know, as Arsenal fans, we need to see a bit more going forward. Um, everyone's crying out for a lot of change. This week, I've tried to stay away from social media a bit because, you know, the, all the stats and arguments about what, how Arsenal can get better going forward. So I'm not confident going into this one, but the only thing I would say is that, you know, we need, Arteta needs to get a response from the team after such a dreadful defeat last week. And he's been pretty good so far when there's been a setback, dealing with that setback and bouncing back. So... I don't know. It's it's a tough one to say whether I think we're going to win and why we're going to win. But I guess we sort of have to play a bit better in a way. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I hope. It's okay when you have one bad result. Say we've had we you know we've had one bad result in the past and bounced back quite quickly. But it's always still slightly nerve wracking after you've had the bad result. It's difficult to rely on the fact that you have bounced back previously. Um, mm. And as you say, leads are so. You know, blow so hot and cold. It's dangerous, you don't know what you're going to get. But they'll love, they'll relish the opportunity of playing Arsenal. I think like Bielsa is going to be like, look, these guys are going to be hurting, and you can match them man for man and really get in their faces and and look. They'll literally look at what Villa did to us and to an extent Leicester, who I feel like Leeds can probably count themselves in and among that bracket. I'm not mm. saying Arsenal are above, but you know, typically we are. Um, they can they can be like well we've got the players we've got the system and the tactical uh, strength to to give Arsenal problems so yeah it does slightly worry me that you know we come back from international break and then we've got Leeds and then we've got like Wolves and then Spurs so Leeds away is <laughs> not an easy game all fun um, so Adi I don't know if you've got uh, anything to come back and say what would you fancy well, Leeds this weekend against Arsenal. Well, he's been, well, it's like Alfie said, because it's been so hot or cold, because like, you know, you, you saw Leeds-Liverpool, you saw Leeds-Man City, but then there was also like, was it 4-2 to Crystal Palace? 4-1. Um, so, and, and it's, I think it's Wolves is a really good game as well. I don't know at the minute, it's, it's pretty even with what they've, they've won more than they've lost, but they've not drawn yet. So I don't know. I, I don't know, really. Yeah. But it, 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 I know that you'll be in for a good game because all the, all the like all the, all the matches I've seen this year have just been like fantastic. You know, with, with Leeds, and they've and they've actually done a better job in the Prem than anyone thought. 
I mean, Bamford's certainly in the form of his life, isn't he, to be fair? Yeah, um, I, you know what? Yeah, he is, he is. I, I, I was a bit unsure about him at the start of the, the, start of the season, but... Um, I think everyone was. He just keeps proving everyone wrong every week, doesn't he? I mean, Adi, you weren't here last week, so he didn't actually talk to you about that ridiculous disallowed goal he had for handball. Otherwise, you know, he might have had a... Not for handball, for offside. Otherwise, he might have had yet another one. But, yeah, I know. It will certainly... That's kind of... That's kind of uh, what runs the bridge now, I think. <laughs> but it's... You know, every week he comes out and surprises people. And I, I certainly think that um, Leeds against Arsenal will be one for the neutral. Um, if we just finish quickly, because obviously, Adi, you and I have got quite a lot to talk about as well. Um, it, just the last game that caught my eye again. I always seem to to mention these teams. You love Southampton, mate. I love love it. Wolves against Southampton. I'm just all aboard the Southampton Express at the moment. It's just loving it. They're in fourth at the moment, aren't they? Um, could be second by the end of the weekend because two of the three teams against the, uh, above them are playing against each other. And obviously, Spurs are playing City. Um, but again, you know, these are two sides who particularly in a season where United are struggling to pick up any decent form. Arsenal as well are yet really to hit full stride. Um, I mean, even City to an extent, although you would expect them to be there by the end. These are two sides who you would be expecting to pick off a couple of the um, European places still hanging around. So I do think there is, you know, South, the fact that I'm in love, seems to be in love with Southampton aside, you know, this could be a, come the end of the season, this could be a big old game for the European places. Yeah, I think Wolves, we're used to seeing Wolves there and there about, you know, sort of around the top four right until the end. And they have, to be fair, as solid as they are, I don't, I don't ever question how solid Wolves are, but they seem to be lacking a bit going forward this year. And I, I feel like, you know, Leicester and maybe even, you know, another one like Southampton or Aston Villa could perhaps, you know, benefit from that in terms of who's going to finish above each other. Southampton, on the other hand, have looked pretty good since, you know, they had a tough start to the season. Everyone was earmarking them to, to start quite well and they started quite poorly and then they've gone on this run. Last weekend, they won without Danny Ings, who I think is still out for this weekend and a couple more weeks. Um, but yeah, it looks like... I, I still question, like you said before, I still question Southampton's ability to, to play consi- at a consistently high level in the way that Wolves, I sort of anticipate, will, and like Leicester. I don't know if Southampton are quite there, but they've definitely been one of the one of the more impressive sides uh, in that sort of category um, so far this season. Yeah, so we'll, uh, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. Um, you can count on that. I'll be uh, willing Southampton on, because that's just... I can't even explain it, but... I like the manager, I think that's what it is. I like Ralph Parson Hotel, but... Um, I have got a bit of a man crushing Southampton at the moment, can't lie. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll look forward to that one. Uh, I don't think there's any particularly any more uh, games that caught my eye for this weekend. Um, shall start by the way for Bolton, who were live on Sky on Friday and won two 0 against Salford. Um, oh. uh, we'd love to see it. Um, there was also I don't know if you yeah. saw the own goal, second goal. Um, I, funnily enough, I missed that one. I missed that game. It was it was on it was on uh, Instagram the next day. Absolutely, like you know Van Persie's volley against Villa for United, where it's dropping yes. over his shoulder and he volleys yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Salford scored an own goal, very reminiscent of that. Uh, <laughs> which was, you know, we always appreciate all the help we can get. So uh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that was cool. a pleasant watch on Friday. So uh, I suppose thanks again, Alfie, as always. And uh, no worries. See you again next week. I'll Thank catch you. you next week. Cheers, boys. All right, it was a record equaling weekend in F1, Addy, uh, yesterday. It was a, 
Lewis Hamilton claiming his seventh World Drivers' Championship with his 94th race win. And personally, I think was one of his best ever drives. Um, just absolutely incredible racecraft and skill. Um, I don't know what you thought of it. I assume you watched it. I was I was in and out of it and I you know what I, I wish I hadn't been because it's like watching it fully you know watching back all the all the race highlights just it, it was such a, a mad race I was watching um I was watching Vettel's um on board as well for the first lap you know it was another it was another Kimmy situation in uh in what was the what was it what was it called undulation Portugal yeah, that was it was just like it was just like it was just like Kimmy in Portugal it was just it was just mental. He made up like eight places or something in the first he lap. Gave, yeah, well, eight places in the first lap, but he gave seven places by the first corner. He started in P11 and by the exit of the first corner was fourth. I mean, it was... It is correct, but the thing is, every, everyone was going off. I mean, we saw, you saw Bottas spinning like eight times that race. Uh, getting lapped by his teammate. That seems to be a trend this year. Yeah, well, I was going to say... I'm. It, you know, anyone who says it's the car on an occasion like yesterday when, obviously, Lewis took 94th race win, 7th Drivers' Championship. I don't think, obviously, he's been helped by the fact he's in Mercedes. There's no denying that. But, I mean, as you say, Bottas, he spun six times yesterday, got laps, finished well, well out of the points. I mean, it really, any, any uneducated Formula 1 fan who, you know, claims that it's all to do with the car. I mean, you show them the race yesterday, don't you? I mean, not even just Lewis. I mean, you can look further down the grid. I mean, it's slightly unfair to say Perez because, I mean, Stroll did get pole on the uh, Saturday. I've always kind of liked Stroll, but you never liked him, did you? You've <laughs> never kind of liked Stroll. You had the same opinion as me, definitely. But, and, um, and then I... And then and then and then I and then I changed my changed my stance over time and then Stroll's gone and done you know done this so fair enough to him but like it's just strategy again that's that shafted him. I mean, when you look at Hamilton and Perez as well actually uh, completed the one stop and did finish. I mean, he was touch and go with Leclerc and Vettel on the final lap, but didn't manage to come second. Um, so Lewis did. I can't remember. I think Perez was a couple of laps fewer but 50 laps on one set of intermediates. And what was so impressive, I thought, was that they would never have occurred to most people, even probably most teams, but they wore down inters till they were almost slicks on an almost dry track. No, so they ended up becoming the perfect tyre. I just thought it was the most ridiculous piece of just genius that I've ever seen. Mm, it, 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 is, it is really, really cool how, how they made that work. And, and like, it's, it's like really like creative strategy. Yeah. But um, this, the thing is, this was, this was the drive that Checo needed, I think, to secure his place for next year. Well, he's not secured anything for next year. But I mean, he's, I he's fourth in the World Championship and he missed the two races at Silverstone because he had COVID. Exactly. He's fourth. And he's, he's, in, a, he's in a car that's, well, he's, he's in like the third best car in it. Or the, well, they are now. They've managed to break clear a little bit. We'll we'll come on to the constructors as well. Let's just um talk just talk about um well. I mean, we'll come back to Lewis Hamilton at the end. We'll finish. We'll finish talking about his his brilliant achievement. But we'll just go through just go through the, the weekend. Um, mm. we'll talk with we we just mentioned Stroll there. Uh, obviously, it was an incredible poll. I think you and I both agreed he he deserved. I mean, it was completely down 100%. to skill on Saturday, and he was thoroughly deserving of it. He was also leading relatively convincingly till about halfway, wasn't he? He even built up a 10-second lead at some point. Um, 
Yeah, but, yeah, it was. It was like six seconds as well. Like it was. He was six seconds after lap five or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's extraordinary. But obviously, he unfortunately for him, and I think very unfairly as well. To be fair, he was. He ended up being the last car to finish on the lead lap, down in eighth or ninth something. And I think he just he came in for another set of intermediates, didn't he? That just didn't work for him. Um, so I do think yeah. he, I did feel I did feel a bit sorry for him actually because there, there was a brilliant result in there for him potentially, and um, that just never quite came. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And the, one of my uh, one of my favourite things about the weekend as well, Matias' absence and Ferrari's. Yes, you know, like well, return to glory. I yeah. mean, let's say uh, I watched a video. Sorry, sorry, what you, you carry on? I watched a video of Seb. Um, I watched a video of Seb saying, "Yeah, I mean, it just it's a weird coincidence, isn't it? Like Ferrari doing the best they've done all year, and Matias not being there." I mean, oh, let's give a shout-out to Vettel as well. While we're, uh, sorry, your internet's shopping a bit in and out. I can't necessarily hear. But um, let's sorry, give the, a... the, the, the connection. All right, we'll plow on. Sorry, we'll uh, we'll we'll pull that point behind us. Let's just uh, well, let's just focus specifically on uh, Vettel for a second. Uh, I mean, he was he was uh, yeah. talk about he was maybe slightly fortunate on the last lap. Leclerc went off at the final corner. Um, I don't know if you heard his team radio run after, but he was—he was, you know—he was slightly fortunate. But he did make his own luck in terms of the exceptional first lap he had, and it was great to see him battling, yeah. battling Hamilton again. And I just thought that was such a pleasing—it was so satisfying that it was obviously such a big monumental result for for Hamilton. And I just thought it was great that Vettel was the first person to go and shake his hand and say how incredible it was what he'd done, and that he went and shared the podium with him, having been his you know closest rival probably. And so many years in terms of statistics in this current generation. So it was, I just thought in general, it was just a really, really heartwarming for want of a better word to see Vessel back on the podium. That's, that's just, that's just Seb though, I think. I mean, I, and I also think it was, it was right that like Seb was on the podium with Lewis for this like massive achievement. Because it's like, I saw the picture, I saw the picture on the, um, on the F1 account of, him shaking his hand from the car, like when like Lewis is still in his car, and it was like there's there's you know eleven world championships between him or whatever, and it's it's pretty crazy, you know. It's it's an insane achievement. So like for and and Vettel as well, it's good to see him like back on the podium because he's not been on the podium since like Singapore, was it? No, Singapore. Singapore, yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah, they, it, yeah. So there you go. He, he's just it, it was good seeing him back up, and it was good seeing. I mean, Leclerc as well could have come second. He could have come second. It was just that. What did he do? Did he understand what what happened? Because yeah. he, he lost on two places there. It was the final lap, wasn't it? And Perez went off at turn turn nine and ten, so Leclerc had a run in. But then in trying to defend, Leclerc went on the the, the wet line. Which yeah, that was exactly. Was the they, so, yeah. they went on the inside. I remember seeing that, but I just didn't. I didn't understand what you'd actually done. But yeah, the, the, I, there was a very, there was a very clear, like dry line though that he was just not on. I mean, let's just turn our attention now to Mercedes done Ferrari, um, another team that I thought had a, a very interesting weekend and also reached a landmark of their own was Red Bull. It was their three hundredth Grand Prix. Um, wasn't the race you were hoping for, I don't think. Having well, having qualified second and fourth would have probably hoped or expected it to be first and second, perhaps. Um, I just thought it was, you know, Verstappen on the day, when you look at some of the other drivers out there, I mean, Hamilton, for example, 
Vettel even. Uh, still showing he maybe lacks the temperament still. I mean, he just his frustration from Saturday just seems to spill over so visibly. Um, and he had quite That's a point thing. in Sunday in the end. Well, I, I just find that Verstappen is like, he's, he's, he's got lots of natural talent. He's a really, really good driver. I mean, anyone could see that he's got lots of pace, but I think he's just, he just gets very angry. And the thing is, it is that sort of, his attitude to everything just comes from the way his team treats him. His team treats him like a, treats him like a king. I mean, he know he know he knows he's a good driver. I'm not saying he's he's arrogant. I mean, every, I mean, all of them are arrogant to an extent. You know, I mean, being a Formula One driver, but I think that Verstappen is just he's still like he, he does. He just he still seems like a young, you know, like hotshot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas <laughs> Hamilton always says like when I, like Verstappen's great to race, but whenever I race him, I leave him plenty of space. And like he just, I mean, to be fair, to be as a viewer, it's it's funny, like with him being the way he is, just hearing all them team radios on the Saturdays, and the and the Fridays, you know, because they're always every single Grand Prix. There's always like there's always a um, a team radio for Verstappen swearing at someone new. Usually Stroll though. Yeah, I mean it's um, I let's let's talk about. Um, that was a that was a really clunky link for me just there. I couldn't. But let's talk about um, Albon uh, while we're on okay. some bits of Red Bull because I don't think I think yes again. I mean I don't think you we would you were here to talk about Imola. I mean obviously he absolutely bottled a uh, a potentially good result at Imola as well. And then, yeah, he you know, to do that. Last chance saloon now. Um, he got his customary deleted lap time out of the way on Friday this week. I mean normally it happens in qualifying, but he managed to do it only on Friday. Um, but it, was, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be right without one of them every week. No, no, not at all. But I mean, despite having, I mean, fourth in fairness at the end of the day was a, a solid result for him. I mean, he was still behind both racing points, but I suppose Verstappen was behind one of them as well. Um, but I mean, I mean the, th- the thing is, though, you say fourth is fourth is a, is a decent result. But I mean, it, like, if you look at it at face value, yeah. But I mean, obviously, if you knew all the chances he he, he passed up on, you know, and all the. Yeah. I mean, he, he was doing. I mean, he was doing a great job. I mean, that that overtaking Hamilton was great. But I mean, ultimate. you can't. I suppose, in fairness, on this particular occasion, um, I kind of thought, oh yeah, Albon spun again. But in fairness, you know, a lot of the drivers were spinning this weekend, so you can't really begrudge him that quite so much this week. But I just think, you know, again, he had an opportunity after Verstappen spun, and he had track position on Verstappen and all that sort of thing. He didn't yeah. have an opportunity because there was an opportunity from there, and you can say, "Well, everyone was spinning this weekend, so we'll let him off." But that was his chance, and he ended up getting smashed in the end by Perez, who's one of his direct rivals. That seat, so yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the main thing about these kinds of races. We haven't seen many wet races, but you just have to keep your head down and try not to spin out, you know? Because that's yeah, I mean, while a lot of drivers were. Spinning out. I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying it, it. It was. It was hard. It was 100% harder. But like you said, like you know, it, this was less about the car. This is more about actual driver skill. And we saw that in, with the Mercedes. You know, Bottas. I don't. I don't, I, can't, I don't even know how many times he spun. It was more than three, was it not? Or was it like? Three? What the Bottas spun? Yeah. Uh, six times, I think, was the final number. Oh, six, um, six times. I counted five, but um, they said six after. Um, so yeah. it's even worse, really. But, um, so there's something out there in a Mercedes spinning out six times in a race, getting lapped by your teammate as well. I mean, it, it, you know, we've seen, I was thinking back uh, Silverstone 2008, um, 
I think Massa spun five or six times in that race when he was Hamilton's main championship rival and Hamilton went and won that race by over a minute. So, I mean, yeah, there is kind of some precedent. I mean, drivers do have particularly bad off days. Um, no, I don't think... Bossas is clearly... I mean, he said it himself over the course of the season, on average, Lewis has been far and away the better driver. Um, yeah. But I don't think that race was a, was a true reflection of... I mean, it emphasises how just how generally all-round gifted Lewis is and that Bottas doesn't quite necessarily have the same skill. But I still think it's perhaps slightly unfair, unfair reflection on their respective abilities, but it occasionally happens. I think uh, what, you've, what you just described is the, uh, the Hamilton effect, I suppose. If it's on Massa mm-hmm. as well and he's spun and Hamilton's gone and won, it's just a, it's just a Hamilton quirk. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just... It's, I mean, you can't go on... Well, we can go on about him. Because he just won seven world championships, so why don't we? Why don't we go on about him? I mean, that is, that's just what it makes him so exceptional, isn't it? I mean, I, he had a slight incident on lap one. I think he lost he lost position to to Vettel, didn't he? And Albon as well. Yeah. Um, but I mean, other than that, I mean, he got those. T- and then there was one of the weird, strange quirks the race today was that at any given moment there was always one driver who was going about four or five seconds quicker than everyone else whether it be Hamilton in front or Leclerc down in ninth or whoever. There was always somebody so much quicker than everyone else. And in the second half of that race, it was just it was Hamilton every single lap when he uh, stayed out and committed to the one-stop strategy. And he got that lead out to, well, he, I mean, he overtook Perez on track, didn't he? And then managed to drag that lead out to 30-odd seconds with Nigel of them stopping. It's just... It reminds me of um, like Silverstone 2019, you know, when he just, it was like 33-odd lap tyres and he, Got the fastest lap on the last lap. Of the yeah, race. I, I, a... I have to mention at this point, I was at that one. That's the one I, that. I was at that one. That was you were sat maggots and Beckett's, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, um, that's, that, that's 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 where I'd, and that's where I'd sit. But um, yeah, that it, it it just reminded me of that kind of drive. Like it was just it was just great. He he didn't even have like any immediate opposition, but he still just kept pushing, which is the which is the coolest part about it. All. I mean, I did come to kind of wonder at one stage. She was, you know, did you notice how he was? He was moaning, wasn't he, that Bottas wasn't moving out of the way for blue flags, mm. um, which I thought was quite amusing. But I think he was just quite happy to just sit behind Bottas and not try and push beyond. Like he drove very much within himself, I thought, and still managed to drag out a thirty-second lead. I don't think he was taking any risks or anything. I just think he naturally just had that good a feel of the car and of the track. Um, but I mean. Was that sorry? And it was Turkey. I think I think Turkey should be there for the, for the next years, you know, yeah. for the following years, because I mean, I, it was it was insane. It was it's such a good track. It was kind of a shame, really, that it wasn't dry all weekend, so we didn't get to see Turn Eight flat out because obviously that's the most iconic element of that track. Yeah, right? Turn Eight. I mean, that that's what everyone was talking about when they first um, introduced. I mean, when they when they when they announced that they were adding Turkey to the calendar, because I remember I was watching Nico Rosberg's video as well on um, earlier on mastering the Turkish Grand Prix, and it's like, it's, and I think Seb's won Seb's won there before, isn't he? Yeah, twenty eleven, yeah. And uh, Lewis as well. So, I mean, it, it's it's I really really like the track. Turn eight was never was never flat out though, was it? No, it wasn't. Not in the old cars. Uh, but I mean, yeah. we see they've released a calendar, haven't they, provisionally for next season? Twenty-three races. Um, obviously, that's, well, a, that's uh, a provisional. Right? That's yeah. a provisional calendar. Well, it's provisional in the sense that we don't know because there's obviously more questions about next year's calendar than previously because of COVID, obviously. 
Um, but so that, I think that's right, that's the main reason why it's provisional. But also the fact that we've got Spain and Brazil are still not officially confirmed, um, but likely. And then the fourth race this season because Vietnam's now not going ahead. Um, so there's still a to be concluded event. Um, which Turkey, I think Turkey, Portimao, and Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, they're the three. They're the three currently front runners to take that slot. I mean, that's not a bad choice of three circuits to have, is it, to fall back on? Is it? There's an extra Grand Prix. What would you I mean, take? I was, I was also thinking, you know, the, the Saudi, the, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, <laughs> this that's a whole can of worms in itself, isn't it? I mean, I don't know what you think of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole. Um, you know, like it, it feels it feels a bit wrong. I mean, I suppose it's a nice sort of a, um, you know, it, to the to the to the like Saudi principles. If you know, women can't drive there, so I think what they should do is they should they should have a Jewish woman driving on the on first practice, just to spite the Saudis. Well, you know, I tell you what, if you don't, if you, you you probably have seen that the women's series, haven't they? Have paired partnered up with Formula One so you know how like at race weekends you have Formula 2 and Formula 3 there as support races and from next season the women's series with uh, Jamie Chadwick and you know the best women's drivers will also be accompanying I just think it'd be brilliant if one of the uh, events in the women's series was the Saudi Arabian event <laughs> I thought that would, I think that would be yeah. a, uh, quite a cheeky thing to do but I mean Chase Carey was interviewed and he said one of the he said obviously he, he knew they knew there were going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of speculation and controversy about the race in Saudi Arabia. But he said that sport, as you know, as global it is, as it is in Formula One having its world championship jetting all over the world, it is an opportunity to, you know, kind of draw attention to some of these issues and to unite people through sport, I think was the phrase he used, which to me sounded like a whole load of baloney to try and cover up the fact that they're going to Saudi Arabia for the money. But I mean, I can't fault kind of, I can't, you know, the, the, morally I mean there's probably some truth to what he said in fairness so we just have to hope really yeah yeah 100% and uh, what I was also thinking about the calendar was um, I noticed Vietnam wasn't on next year so we never got to see the Hanoi Grand Prix I can't help but think that we've not missed out on much to be honest I mean I've played it on the new you've played it on the new the new F1 2020 game haven't you yeah, yeah, I have, and it, it was a it was a weird one to get used to to, to begin with. It, it was like a weird it was it was like Baku mixed with um it was like Baku mixed with um pretty much just like Baku. It was like Baku's little sister from China, mm. a little bit with the long sweeping turn stuff. I thought it, it with the roundabouts and stuff. I thought it might be might have been cool, but it would just it would end up being like one of those tracks where just no one overtakes, and it's just there's not a lot of places you can take chances there. Yeah, I mean, it's all partly to do with, you look at some of the tracks we could go to, like, well, Turkey and Portugal and Portimao, even even though we've not been there before this season. You would, you would take them every day of the week over Vietnam, wouldn't you? I mean... Oh, 100%. So, but I mean, if we end up going there, then it'll be cool to see new, a new track on the calendar. We may yet see it beyond 2021. Um, but certainly for the time being, it's, you know, it'd be nice to see Turkey or such a like come back to the calendar. Um, but um, thought we, was Zan, Zanvort's still on there, isn't it? Zanvort's still there. I mean, I'm still slightly sceptical as to how that's going to go. I mean, I've tried. I've driven that track on the new F1 game. And I'm no Formula 1 driver, so it's fair to say. But um, I didn't, I'm not really keen on it, to be honest. I think it's going to be an absolute procession, just having played the track. It's so narrow, so twisty. 
It's it's really narrow. I mean, it, I like that it's a short lap, but it's like it's so so narrow. And like it is, it's it would be cool. It would be cool for a hot lap, or whatever. But like, it's not really like there's no space for anyone to you know actually overtake again. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the track and how twisty it is and that sort of thing, it just looked absolutely custom built for Verstappen to win on in a Red Bull. Yeah, <laughs> I saw that video of Verstappen uh, testing in in Zandvoort actually. Mm. It was him on his home track, I suppose. I mean, we'll see him. It's, it's been moved back, hasn't it? It's in the summer now. It was going to be early early on in the season. I think it's going to be May, wasn't it, this year? But it's going to be after the summer break. I think first week back after the summer break next year. Um, no, no. It's like it'll go like August, then. Yeah, exactly. So that's probably, I think that's probably going to be nice weather for it in the middle of May, hopefully. That will that will add to the kind of the, the atmosphere a little bit. Um, let's just finish. I've had a notification on Learn, on, on, not on Learn, God. Everything I just like, got to learn on the brain at the moment, but we've got seven minutes left in this meeting, so there's a couple of couple more things just to to, to go over, just to talk about. Um, we talked about uh, racing point, um, obviously qualified for first and third, and we saw McLaren's both getting penalties in qualifying that put them down to 15th and 16th on the grid. Um, obviously, before the trace, there was only one point separating McLaren, Renault, and racing point in the constructors, and. Racing Point really failed to make the the inroads you they would maybe have hoped for after the Saturday. Um, Renault as well now, obviously two podiums for Ricardo recently, uh, but they're kind of fighting one handed a little bit because Ocon's not managing to get the results as well. Um, so, do you think over the last three races now, we've got two in Bahrain, one in Abu Dhabi, you kind of get the impression it's Racing Point to lose now, don't you? Through third place. Well, yeah, I, I have a feeling that's what it is because they've just they've, they they'd struggled to keep that that third, you know. And uh, I, I don't know; they've had a, a few good results like here and there across the season. I mean, we we've seen you've seen some standout quality performances, particularly from Lance Stroll. You know, I he mean, came third, he came third in Hungary, didn't he? And then he came uh, first. Well, he got pole in Turkey, which is pretty mad. He's a bit of an, an enigma because he went through last season where he got knocked out in was it fourteen consecutive Q one sessions or something, <clears throat> and he's uh, he's clearly worked on it and it's starting to come to him a little more this season. And I, I think I said to you yesterday, I I was never Stroll's biggest fan, but you know I I I've been willing him on this season, obviously with Perez losing that seat and Stroll keeping his. You know, I've been willing him on to get to get a good result, and it was it was good to see him at the pole. It was obviously a bit un, a bit unlucky in the race on. On Saturday, but um, I think that maybe reflects, doesn't it? Kind of the, what you would expect. Perez was able to; he's one of the drivers you'd expect to capitalise in a, such situations as yesterday. Um, I just think well, that's one, what yesterday. That's, that's what it seemed like. That's what it seemed like with them, um, because it just seemed like as long as you keep your head down, because everyone, everyone was just going off and spinning and everything. Like it was like all you had to do was just not was not crash, and you might get an all right, you might you know get an all right position let's just wrap up then um not at all related to what we're just talking about but i mean there is one more final issue that i think we do need to discuss and that is lewis hamilton's mercedes contract they say every single week we'll wait until we've won both the championships they said after they won the constructors in mlo we're focusing on the drivers championship now now they've won the drivers championship i mean if they don't get it sorted in the next few weeks, it's going to be big question marks about have they just been bluffing all season and you know Lewis is going to leave in 2021 or something. 
I I really just I I I can't see Lewis leaving the sport like before he can beat Michael Schumacher's record because with the way it's going, he's got another year. Of, well, actually, twenty twenty one is when the regulations change in it, but yeah, I think he's he's got another year of you know it, the way it looks. If he if he does another year of Mercedes, he's going to get another world championship. You would think it, we've seen from. Yeah, I mean, with the, with Bottas had his chance this year, and he's you know, he, he's he's ultimately balled it. So, and um, he doesn't really have any other rivals at the minute, does Lewis? No, I mean, when the calendar's shorter as it was this year, then you know, realistically, you've only got to sustain a good period of form for a short amount of time, haven't you? So, if you want to look at it like that, then it really was Bottas's opportunity to just sustain a good form over a fourteen, fifteen race period, but that never happened. Yeah, I mean, it really did look like it was going to be Bottas was going to do something this year after Austria, the Austrian Grand Prix. But then it became clear after like the first four, after like Mugello, that Lewis was just going to, Lewis was going to, you know, like finish the job. So I don't think I don't think he has much to worry about for next year. But the fact that the slot's still not been filled is is a bit suspicious. Well, I, I'm definitely keeping my fingers crossed. As a, I mean, I'm not so sure. You're more of a neutral than me, aren't you? So I'm sure it wouldn't. You wouldn't mind so much if it was uh, all changed next season. But certainly from my point of view, I'm very much hoping that does get signed. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure we yeah, got next yeah, I mean, on it. It'd be great to see the record broken. You know, I mean, it would be great to see the actual record get broken. I mean, I. I am quite neutral about Hamilton. I can respect he's he's great, but like it would be nice to see him, you know, break a new record. And it's like we've we, and then he'll sort of solidate, solidify that, um, he'll solidify that status that he's got in everyone's minds right now of being the greatest of all time. You know, like, I mean, it's like get said, it's world championship. It's like I said before, isn't it? It would be a shame to come this well, it, it, and not get hundred wins and not get the eighth world championship. It just seems such a waste, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's like we were we were talking about when we'd um when we didn't watch the uh the Tuscan Grand Prix together, how um, Lewis and Schumacher of wasn't the Tuscan Grand Prix. It was one of the Grand Prix that we didn't watch together. It was um, Portimao. Yeah, it was Portimao. All right, well we've got less than a less than a minute in the Zoom call now, and uh, you're breaking up, and I can. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can hardly hear what you're saying. I feel like, I don't know, I can't tell if I'm talking over you or not. I can kind of hear a crackling, but I can see your picture and you're just sitting there. So, like, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you're, you're also just sitting there on my screen. So, I'm, I'm going to assume that the connection, the connection's just with it. Right, well, uh, we'll leave it there then before we cut off completely. I'm sorry that, you know, towards the end, it just all fell apart. I couldn't <laughs> genuinely yes. tell if you're speaking or not. But um, thanks for joining me. We've got two weeks and then we've got Bahrain doubleheader. We've got that ridiculous oval-ish circuit to look forward to. Uh, the non-GP circuit. Yeah, so we'll uh, seconds are ticking down on the Zoom call. So before it finishes, I'll just say thanks, Ali, for joining me. Thanks, Alfie, for earlier. And we'll see you next week. Bye.